Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Welcome to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. I'm so honored to have the privilege to speak with Miss Amber Viola, who is a retired Navy and is working in her passion to help military and veterans overcome adversity. She is the commander of the Goldsboro, Pennsylvania American Legion, a veteran service organization. She also has her own podcast called Politics But Make It Fashion, where she and her co-hosts talk politics and fashion. Additionally, she has an amazing portfolio of social outreach and has been featured in the Washington Post and Vogue magazine, amongst many other accomplishments. Amber is the definition of triumphant, and I couldn't be more thrilled to speak and learn from her and her experiences. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. I already gave you a bit of an introduction, but please tell us more because we are dying to know. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And um, thank you for that intro. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you're awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so my name is Amber. I am currently um, in NEPA. This is where I'm from. Um, I moved around a lot. So I was kind of an army brat going up. So my mom was in army too. And um, so like, Funny thing, I never thought I would actually like join the military because I didn't like the way it affected my life and my childhood. Um, but I needed money and I was a poor college student and my brother was going to go into the military as well. So we both decided to join the military together. And um, I had like up and down experiences when I was in the Navy. Um like overall, I loved it. It taught me a lot, but there was also some really terrible aspects to it as well. So, I mean, obviously I got out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I mean, for me, like there was a lot of personal growth. Um, You know, the military kind of uses you and uses you for all you have got. And I knew that going into it, coming from a military family. So I really wanted to use it for all it had to and kind of do as much as I could to get out of it, you know? Um, so I just try to get as many like qualifications and certifications and stuff as I could. And, um, I started taking college classes and stuff and using my TA while I was in. So I was, um, able to then come in kind of as like a sophomore junior when I started my college, once I got out, which put me in like a really good position. So, um, I got out and I've been out for five years now. <laughs> I started school the next day after I moved up here back home. And I went to school straight through um, the summer. I graduated with my bachelor's in social work, took a little break from school. And now I'm back at it again. And I'm graduating in May with my master's. So that's uh. Currently, what my main focus is on is just trying to, like, oh, girl, finish strong because I'm tired. (laughs) Uh, But I'm also the commander of my American Legion in Goolsboro right now. And that has been uh, such an amazing experience and something I never, ever thought I would do or have the opportunity to do or anything like that. So that's been really great. And um I have a podcast, as you said, so um, hosting and producing my podcast has become a very new passion for me, and it's something that I love to do, so um, those things are kind of what's uh, on my plate right now as well as just being a mom, always. That's first and foremost. So, you know, I love helping people, and I've always wanted to help people, and after leaving the military, I really wanted to help veterans and female veterans. Um, While I was active duty, I was a victim advocate. 
And all of my instructors um, were civilians and they were all social workers. And I just thought that they were such amazing people. And I loved like their kindness and their empathy and their willingness to want to help people. So I knew that when I got out, I wanted to become a social worker. So what did you go into um, college for initially, like before you joined the military? I went in as a history major. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, I was actually going to ask you, but you answered my question too. Was like, <laughs> oh, what made what made you want to get into social work? But no, that's really good. I find myself um, leaning towards that route too because, like you said, like I also have a passion for helping people, and social work is amazing. Every therapist, social worker that I've ever met has just been fantastic. Yeah, and it's such a broad. Um, category like you can really almost do anything there's one of our former senators I was an intern under him and he had his master's in social work and it just made him such a better leader an amazing leader and that's not something you would really think about when thinking about a social worker Um, I worked at HR I was HR director for the city of Scranton um, and you wouldn't really think about that as a social worker but that's surprisingly, there's a lot of social workers that do HR and it, and it has so many similarities in different things. Um, a lot of times people only think about the, you know, uh, child services and that kind of aspect of it. But I mean, you can work in things like statistics and research. Um, I love research, um, and do different things like that. I mean, there's people who do like studies in cities about like how walkable is your city and, you know, a social worker will be researching that and stuff. So it's a, it's a lot. So definitely, definitely think about it. Yeah. I didn't know that it was, it was so, um, it was such a wide category of things that you can work in. When I think of social worker, I do, I think of like child services or mental health care. So yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. I don't want to, I knew that I didn't want to work one-on-one with people. Yeah. Um, what is the, can you talk more about the American Legion? Sure. So the American Legion is a nonprofit organization that is for veterans and it is a nationwide organization. I think there's like over 300 American Legions or something like that. That might be the wrong number guys. So, (laughs) but there's a lot (laughs) and, um, they, we service, our whole community because we I have a small community in Goldsboro that's where I grew up and it is such a center point of our community and we are there for veterans uh, I mean we have you know there's still Korean War veterans you know Vietnam veterans and things like that so you have veterans from kind of all across the board and different things and we help people our legion gives out scholarships um to kids in the area who have a veteran um, relative or something like that. We help people get their um, disability claims if they need it. We've had vets come down and visit and we serve them lunch and different things. And honestly, the main goal is to provide like a place for veterans to come and have camaraderie and be able to feel accepted and be able to kind of share um, whatever they want to share you know, and, and be around people who, who get them and about around people who really understand them. I don't think that sometimes people realize how different veterans can be. Um, because you know, people don't know, everyone doesn't know a veteran like they used to, you know? Um, so sometimes they might be the only one, you know, or they really don't know anybody. So they kind of have a perception and things, but the American Legion currently, the numbers are really going down and we really, really want to get younger um, veterans in there to help us stay there, you know, because honestly, a lot of it, the people are going to die off. And um, I think that there's going to be a lot of American Legions that are going to end up closing because there's no, no younger members and things like that that are kind of stepping up who are willing to be a part of it. How does someone go about um, getting involved in the American Legion? Look it up, find out yeah. where your local one is. Um, 
Scranton is one of the highest populations of veterans any PA does in the country. So we have a whole bunch here. So I don't know if everywhere else is kind of like that, but definitely I would just look up American Legion in your area and you can go there and membership for a year is like $35 or something like that. Um, most of them have a bar and alcohol is real cheap <laughs> and it's just, um, I, I like to be there. I like to be around other veterans. I know that there's, I know there's issues and I know that's why younger veterans aren't involved with them. But I think that if we don't get involved in those issues, they're just going to stay there. You know, I know that there are racist. Uh, I know that there are homophobic people, you know, um, who have been that way for a very long time. And I, and I totally get that. I also understand that not everybody wants to be around a bar and be around alcohol because maybe they had um, issues with alcohol and things like that. But I do think that it is an amazing organization and things like that. And it's definitely worth getting involved in. And if you haven't, and I know some veterans who have tried and have ran into those issues and then left, but I would definitely say try again, you know, or try another American Legion. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I'm over my legion and I'm one of the youngest uh, members and a woman and a black woman. And my legion is all white, old people. So that's amazing. <laughs> you never know, that guys. Something. Yeah, it says something with it, within itself. Good on you. So the American Legion can provide like a support network for veterans. It, it like, really, it's just a way really to connect. Can. Yeah. It was that's for awesome. me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was just, um, I was in a leadership class this morning and we were talking about just removing like negativity, negative talks, negative stigmas. Um, and while they may like exist and be in your face, um, if we don't, you know, try, try our best effort to remove those by spreading positivity, um, and not running away from, you know, some of the, the negative things that maybe out that are outdated, then it's right. never going to change. So yeah, I'm glad that you said that those exist, but they don't have to. And right. if the younger generation, you know, the more informed, more modern generation of veterans does get involved, it can definitely remove those negative yeah. um, stigmas. And it's not all like, oh, you have to go there and talk about war or anything like that. And it's, you know, you don't have to be a combat veteran. You know, you can be any rank, any, you know, any, um, what is it? <laughs> Uh, rate, any rate. rank, any rate. MOS, yeah. <laughs> right, anything. So it, so it doesn't matter. There's no like specific type that you have to be or fit into a certain category or anything. Yeah, it's just a place where people can come to find common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad that exists and I'm glad that your legion has you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you for telling us um, all of that about yourself. Um, when you were an advocate in the Navy, um, and, and then even your experiences um, outside of the military, do you have like did you work with people that had mental health issues, or do you have um, a specific background in sort of um, the mental health care aspect for veterans? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when you're working with the victims and their families and things like that. They're, you're getting them counseling and, and therapy. And sometimes there are mental health issues that would develop after that. A lot of times victims do have PTSD from the incidents that occurred. Um, whether it was one or whether it was many, um, can have depression and anxiety and things. So those are very like normal things to happen after somebody has a traumatic incident going on. So just being around people and having to learn how to kind of navigate that and what to do and and how that system kind of works and after the military i helped a lot of veterans um get help with the va and be able to try to apply for benefits and things like that so that they can get diagnosed with a mental health um illness mental health issue um and get the help that they need and get the treatment that they need So seeing people in different stages kind of of the process, you know, and um, some people where it's still, it's still hard for them to even talk about it, you know, and then have working with people who have, you know, shared it so much that it, 
that they're able to do so. So it's it's been interesting to to do all that. Navigating it in the Navy and outside of the Navy is hard. Both of them have kind of their own their own issues. You know, mental health services while you're in the military is like, uh, well, basically <laughs> nobody wants you to do it, and nobody's really supportive of, supportive of it. And so when you have that and then trying to kind of overcome that mindset when you get out to still kind of want to seek help is definitely hard. Um, it can be hard to admit that you have an issue that you need to work on, that you have a problem. But, um, you know, when they call it like mental illness, it's an illness, you know, you need to get better. You need to, you know, do what you have to do to try to try to get stronger, you know, and, and develop better coping mechanisms and, and different things like that. So it's, it's, it's so interesting. And, you know, I got diagnosed with PTSD um, myself. So I have had to personally navigate the veterans health system and mental health system and still, still obviously do so. So I know how it is and I know kind of how the system works and, and I just want to do whatever I can to help anybody who needs any help. When you were active duty, um, did you utilize any mental health care services or do you have any opinion about kind of what was offered or, you know, the availability of what was being offered um, at the time? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I had postpartum depression. And um, so I was actually this is I was at a D-Guts command um, during this. And my oh, actual wow. first experience with the mental health department was absolutely horrific. It was terrible. I, I was crying. Like this lady was horrible. Um, but this wonderful woman found me in the hallway crying and she was a, a therapist there and she took me into her office and talked to me and she was absolutely amazing. And I, I was lucky because I had a really great supervisor. So there was a point where I was going to therapy like twice a week. Um, I probably should have maybe been in inpatient therapy at the time, but I was like going through, going through a divorce, going to have custody issues. And I was worried about that affecting all of that. So, but I was able to go to therapy twice a week, um, and be with this amazing counselor and really kind of learn how to get better, learn what was wrong with me, learn how to feel, learn how to, you know, fix things. I was able to take medicine, um, along with therapy. I'm definitely an advocate for, I'm not, I don't believe in pill pushing because I think there's a lot of other stuff that you can do, especially for mental health. But I think when you do all those things in conjunction together, it, it can be really, really helpful. Um, so for me, it, it really was with medicine and therapy and things like that. Um, I also utilized um, fleet and family services because I used, I took parenting classes before um, I had my daughter uh, while I was pregnant and things like that. And then they continued after I had her and things. And so that was an, another layer of like support and help and another system that I had that I was able to utilize. So um, I do always advocate for people to go and utilize fleet and family services. Um, you know, go to your mental health department if you have one, but if you don't trust it or you don't trust your command, you can always go outside. You can always use a civilian counseling service. Nobody can tell you that you can't. If they tell you that you can't, they're lying. Um, so you can always go outside and you can always do that. And the funny, and the not funny thing, but the good thing about civilian counselors is you can find somebody who's maybe available Saturdays or Sundays or at night or early in the morning. Um, you know, cause military doctors, they're, they're pretty much on that like nine to four schedule. Right. So, <laughs> and that's when you're working and, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the downsides of trying to seek mental health treatment in the military is, you know, your schedule and you're working and it's really hard to take time off. So trying to do that, I do understand that is a huge barrier for people being able to get help. So utilizing a civilian can be a helpful way in to kind of navigate that and, and go around. And now they offer online therapies and counseling and stuff. So, and a lot of those things are 
have really good, good flexible schedules. So. No. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. So like I, I said it in a previous episode, but I actually, um, you know, brand, not brand new to the Navy, but I was on my second tour and I was thrown, not thrown into, I guess maybe into the special operations community. Right. It was something I wanted to do, but I found myself, um, struggling with, with my emotions and I didn't want to appear, uh, weak. So I didn't look to my command for mental health resources or guidance. I actually went out in the civilian sector because um, I was, I think I was 23. I was still on my parents' insurance. So yeah. I was mm-hmm. able to use that. So yeah, if anybody out there, if you guys are still on your parents' insurance, go out in town. I think I paid 20 bucks a session yeah. um, and I met with my therapist um, after hours. So nobody at work knew what right. I was doing, but I was able to work through those issues and problems. And there's that agencies having. that, um, that are free, um, that, that for your oh. community. So, um, I actually right now am interning at Scranton Counseling Center here in my area. And, um, they offer services that are free for people that, don't have insurance or can't afford to pay or, you know, different things or places that take like, um, little, like, you know, really small payments and stuff like that. So definitely look around because that's available in some areas. So there's no central database for that type of stuff. You might just have to do some research on Google to find maybe Google. I tell everybody Google everything. I'm always on Google guys. (laughs) No, that that's a good tip. And I didn't know that that exists. So yeah, if you want to go outside of the military to get mental health treatment, yeah. See what your local community has. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, if you're on a ship and stuff too, it's hard. Like, um, cause people see, and this is one of the things, one of the things I had with being, uh, um, victim advocates, people see you with them and they'll, they'll put two and two together, even if it's not that, you know, even if it's just yeah. like you talking to your friends. So sometimes like people see you next to the psych office or like you have an appointment and it does, and you don't say what kind of appointment it is. And then, you know, people want to speculate or assume. And I mean, I would have like commanders and supervisors and stuff like grilling me for information about victims and stuff. And I was like, I can't like tell you that. Well, what I need to know what kind of appointment is or they can't go. You can't do that. Like, what are you talking about? You know? So that's, that's another barrier that makes it pretty hard. So I couldn't believe that they were even asking me. I was like, that is crazy. And something along with, and I, I think these two, line up really well together as as along with mental health, something else that I'm also very passionate about is leadership, right? Is making sure that I'm a good leader and that I can be the example for other people to see how they can be a good leader too. Because as, you know, D Guts, right, and his leadership podcast talks about and illuminates a lot is is the leadership and competency that we have in the Navy and we don't And it's the Navy's fault because there's no way that you should that you should offer a two day PowerPoint to lead people. That is insane. And the other services don't do that. Exactly. They literally don't. When people become an E five or an E six they are sent to a leadership school mm-hmm. and are there for like two months learning and training how to be a real leader. And in the Navy, the, it's just ridiculous. So like it, something funny to me is always like I didn't even go to my training because I ended up having watch. So they put it on a DVD yeah, for me. Yeah, they just put it and in the, like, they just put the code in so that I did yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So like that's the problem. It is. It is. It is part of the problem. And I think that's one of the foundational problems that leads to these barriers that, you know, you just spoke about as if and for anybody listening, you know, if you're a leader now or you get into a leadership position, please consider, um, you know, what people are going through. We're all human. We're not, you know, we're not checks, checks in a box and we're not just, you know, these humanless beings, we have feelings and we have illnesses, right? Things Mm -hmm. that happen to us that we have to work through and get treated for. So I just ask, you know, everyone, when you get into a leadership position, or if you are in one, just be understanding, respect the rules, don't pry, respect people's privacy (laughs) and be accommodating because a healthy force is a lasting force. And the number one reason that people separate from the military is because of toxic leadership. Mm-hmm. 
it is um, yep. because they don't feel supported or they were treated wrong. And that's just, that's, that's such an easy fix to a retention problem. I know so many good people that get out because of that. And if yeah. we could just fix it um, by, by setting the example, if our, if our leaderships, if our leaders aren't going to fix it, at least we can, right. By right. doing the right thing and setting the example, because it, it definitely has a major impact on the barriers that we're currently facing with access to mental health. So yeah. I just wanted to throw that out there. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about is I recently, I think it was yesterday, there was an article that came out about military sexual trauma and its relation to suicide. And suicide has been a big deal in the Navy and not just the Navy, but the military, but you see it in the Navy um, more and more about, you know, sailors committing suicide and it's so sad and tragic. And Mm -hmm. I just want to do something to be able to stop it. Um, I see the news articles and I also see people post in forums crying out for help and, you know, we can provide links to resources and, you know, we can and say the names of resources all the time, but there has to be another way that we can reach people to save their lives and let them know that they're, they're worth it. So back to the article, it, it essentially talked about the stigmas associated with retaliation um, to our military sexual trauma victims. Yeah. And how that re- that fear of retaliation can lead people to commit suicide. And I just feel like fear of retaliation is such a something that doesn't need to exist if we yeah. had leaders and people that just supported us and listened to us and trusted us. retaliation is real. Like it's it just, is. And I mean, it's so easy for like upper, upper com- chain of commands to say for like, um, you know, when the when somebody's like coming to your ship and they're gonna do a talk and stuff like that, like it's you know for the CNO to say like don't worry about retaliation, you know, come to me, my office is always open or whatever, and it's like it's made kind of almost like that's not a big issue, but I've personally seen it, and not just with military sexual trauma with anything, and it's like I mean, people get, ruin your life, you know because you put your division or your department now under the spotlight and now you're under they're under investigation or whatever and and stuff like that and i mean you know now you're getting every shitty watch you know you're you're getting all the extra work you don't get to leave for your kids ultrasound because they hate you like it's just so much that they can do to you because you said something that happened to you and it and it's real and it happens so much and um like my mom was in the military she was in the army for 22 years um she was an officer and there are so many times i would tell her stories about what happened in the navy and stuff and she's like I, why didn't you go tell some like why weren't you in um you know the investigator's office or whatever and i'm like no <laughs> You know, no, because it wouldn't have worked. It would have been terrible for me. It would have almost been worse than what happened, what what happened after that. And, you know, and I I just say, you know, if I felt that way as as me, as a person who, you know, is is pretty tough um, and I didn't want to deal with it or, or anything, I can't even imagine anybody else trying to deal with that either. You know, it's it's such a real thing, guys. Like, I mean people i know that it's hard to believe that your friend raped somebody and a lot of times that what it comes down to um i had a friend that was accused of raping someone and i believed his story i believed him and then he did something extremely inappropriate and extremely creepy to me and there was a moment and i was like you raped that girl i knew it in my head and I was like, and I believed you because you were my friend. So I understand that. I understand that side of it. I get it. That it really is hard to believe that like your friend would ever do that. But most women aren't aren't lying. You know, the statistics for people who lie about sexual assault or rape are the same for like almost every crime. 
And people who do lie about it probably have some mental health issues or something traumatizing happened to them and they're going through whatever. But it's not just willy-nilly, you know. Um, if somebody ever tells you that women come forward to be famous, ask them what a victim's name is. Because I bet you they can't tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, Ask them what's one of uh, Bill Cosby's accusers since they did it to be famous. You know, I'll wait for you to tell me what somebody's name is. Right. No. And, you know, they might they might try to name some famous scandal about some woman with some millionaire NBA player, football player, but right. ain't nobody in the military making millions <laughs> no, of dollars. Right. For, <laughs> but like, yeah, and like so, what do you get out of that? You, yeah. get, you know what you get? Everybody hates you. Shame. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I couldn't I couldn't stop shaking my head in, in agreement with everything that you were saying, because I, too, have found myself in a situation that I never thought that I would be in. I grew up raised by my dad, um, you know, tomboy. He always told me to be independent, stick up for yourself. If anybody touches you, you know, you you get them back 10 times over, you know? So right. that was that was how I was brought up. That was the mentality that I had going into the military, right? Brand yeah. new, right out of high school. I was I was tough. I was ready for anything that anybody threw at me. I wish somebody would try to violate me or my space. Like there would be right. hell <laughs> Like that was, the, that was the mindset and the attitude that I had until some real stuff happened. And I found myself secluded in a different country on a deployment, being harassed and touched every single day by somebody that I was supposed to trust as my leader. And you know what? <laughs> I folded. I, I didn't get them back. I didn't try to punish them. And it was because I was scared that I was Ooh. going to ruin my reputation, ruin yes. ruin the rest of my Navy career. now you're a You just exactly. regret it. And you know what? I let that fear prevent me from coming forward with what was going on. So something that, you know, could have lasted one time, one week, if I would have reported it, it ended up lasting six weeks until somebody else reported it for me. And I still had to deal with the consequences, the rumors. I was labeled as Even though you didn't even report it. And that's the thing too, even if somebody else does. It's still like, oh, well, you like, no. And, and, and people spread rumors and people just believe it, you know, just. And the thing about spreading rumors is people don't really think how toxic and powerful it can be, but rumors mm-hmm. spread like wildfire and they get into somebody's head. And sometimes when everybody's saying the same thing, people believe it and mm-hmm. there's really no coming back from it. Or that's, at least that's what it feels like, right? And that's how I felt. And I prided myself in being sharp and professional mm-hmm. and, and never coming out of character and just always doing what was right. And the fact that, you know, the what people were saying at that point defined me, it was awful. And that's when I lost myself. I fell into the deepest, darkest times of my life. I felt worthless. The people who I should have trusted, the people who knew me and worked with me, I thought, were calling me these names, saying that I lied about it, just completely invalidating my truth. And it was the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. And even people you think are your friends. Exactly. People that you were really cool with before now all of a sudden won't talk to you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Yeah, it's it's a it's big it's a big thing that we deal with. And and I know men deal with it too, but there there's a stigma around women and women lying and then women having to face these these second and third order consequences. But right. I would say because I came out of that, I'm better for it now, and I wish that I hadn't let that fear of retaliation scare me away from reporting it in the first place because right. me not reporting it let him get away with it several more times more yeah. times than he should have and I still had to deal with the repercussions so just just if if you find yourself in that situation or you've been through that situation and those who will go through that situation because it's inevitable just just be strong know who you are and be confident in who you are and what you did the truth will come out and whatever Whatever you go through and whatever adversity you face, you, you're going to get through it. You just got to stay strong. That's such an important topic to talk about, and a, and a lot of people don't address it. So yeah, I think so. I think it, it just makes it hard. That's that's the number one reason why when working with victims that people wouldn't want to say anything. 
was was retaliation or or fear of retaliation. And as as leaders too, I'll, I'll draw it back to leadership, right? As leaders, we can remove that fear of retaliation by making sure that our our people feel supported, know that we'll stand by them. Right. With that, the there was there's also some more statistics that I wanted to provide um, to our audience and to you as well, and get your thoughts. There was a um, on August 31st of last year, 2022, the Pentagon released the annual report on sexual assault prevention in the military, and the findings were that 36,000 service members reported experiencing unwanted sexual contact. of those were women and 1.5% of those were men. And that was a 35% increase since 2018. So in three years, nearly 35% um, increase. That's crazy. And one of, and like I keep saying, right, leadership plays a part in this. And um, in the same article that I was reading um, that displayed these statistics, um, Colonel Don Christensen, who's retired, he was a former chief prosecutor of the United States Air Force. He said that leadership plays a big role in these numbers and that if leadership had supported rather than obstructed removing commander's prosecution authority years ago, that the military would be in a much better place now. Yeah. And that brings me to want to bring up the um, National Defense Authorization Act that came out um, regarding the, excuse me, the special trial council that's supposed to provide um, expertise and like a civilian prosecutor to go after these sexual assault cases um, with the hope to restore justice and in the process for military. And Supposedly, according to the SecDef, um, it's supposed to be rolled out late this year in December of 2023. So what are your thoughts on that whole thing? I mean, I hope it works. <laughs> but yeah. I, it's it's hard. I mean, you there's so much that goes into the the process not working. And it's not just one thing. Um, this could definitely help, but it just definitely depends on like, just who's on the council, you know, where are we pulling these bodies from and different things. And I think that just really makes a difference. And and our service members going to feel supported to even get to that level. Right. Exactly. That's probably step number one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that they should have outside agencies investigate and do the whole, the whole thing. Um, I don't think you can really trust organizations to investigate themselves very well. So, you know, if you're stationed somewhere, I think the best bet is for the police to actually maybe get involved. I mean, and there's been, even beyond it, there's been times where people have been found guilty and gotten a slap on, like guilty of rape and gotten a slap on a wrist and still in the military. So like what happens if they're guilty? Like, are we actually going to show consequences for these things or not? Because right. it, it the way it is now, the people that are found guilty, what's actually happening to them? Because right, because it's it's been nothing a lot. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is it going to help? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that's a fair point. And I spoke in my first episode as well. It was, it was not only that person that harassed me while I was on my first deployment, but when I came back, um, there was another person, a, a senior chief at E eight who not only harassed me and made me feel uncomfortable and violated me, but he did that to to 14 other women that I know of. And he was administratively separated with his benefits mm. and everything. So it's like, well, did, did anything really happen to him? Was, right. was justice served? What, what precedence does that set for the rest of the military or the rest of the predators out there? You right. know, it, so there is bigger fish that we have to fry. It may be a slight step in the right direction, but yeah, it, it's really too vague to tell if that's, if that's really yeah, going to work. Don't know. <laughs> like that's so messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm actually, I'm curious. Um, I've never been a part of the victim a- victims advocate <laughs> program, but as someone who did that um, while you did your service in the military, are you able to kind of walk us through the process of, kind of what happens or the support that that is given or that people are entitled to? 
Sure. Yeah, definitely. Let me just, sorry, girl. Uh, I'm a veteran now. My back hurts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our job was basically to walk a victim through kind of like the worst time in their life. So if we got a call about um, a sexual assault, um, we all had, we had phones and you would have had a phone number that was given out to people at the command and different things. So you get a call on that phone. Um, and if you'd ask what, you know, what can I do for you? So it's always victim led, you know, so you're not making any decisions for anybody. You're not saying, okay, well, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to take you to the hospital. You know, you're kind of seeing what they need and where they're at. So your first thing is kind of making sure they're safe. Like, are you safe? Do you need, do you need me to come find you? Do you need help getting to a safe place? Like, what can we do? Um, and then you're kind of going from there, you know, what does the victim want to do? Do they want to, um, seek medical help and medical treatment? Um, if yes, then, you know, we take them to the hospital to seek medical treatment. Um, do they want to do a SANE exam? Um, do they not want to do a SANE exam? Um, and if they do, then we'll be there with them where, whatever they need. Do they want us to stand and hold their hand? Do they want us to wait outside? You know, um, do they want us to get their mom there? Like, you know, there's all these different things as, as what's happening. And, um, and you're not forcing them to do anything. You're not trying to give them advice. You're trying to offer help. So the first step is making sure they're safe, getting them medical help and stuff like that. And then, you know, making sure they have a safe place to go. Um, do they, you know, do they have clothes? Do they have a place to go? Um, what do we need to get you? You know, you're asking them, like, do you want to make an unrestricted report? Do you want to make a restricted report? Like which avenue do you want to go to? We would help them get services needed, um, almost kind of like brokering services between agencies. So whether it's um, mental health agencies with counseling or therapy or different things like that, um, talking to somebody, whether that's in the command or outside the command, um, any other services that they need, if they need more medical services and different things like that, um, making sure they get that. And then, you know, helping with them making appointments and, and getting to their appointments, um, helping with if they're having issues with their boss that isn't, you know, is being difficult, you know, kind of trying to run interference with different things. Um, if they decide that they want to go through the process of uh, pressing charges and going to court, we'd be there with them through that if they wanted us to be, you know, we'd be there every step of the way until kind of like the end of their, their journey. Um, you know, we're, we're doing kind of safe handoffs to pass them off to, you know, other services and things like that. And, um, if the person wants to leave the command, maybe helping them facilitate an expedited transfer or different things like that. So our job kind of looks maybe different with every victim and family that you're helping. Um, but that's kind of the basis of it. And our, you know, we're just supposed to be there for them, whatever they need. I have two questions. Um, first, why not call the police? From like when it first happens? Yeah. From, from a victim's perspective, why not call the police? And I'm sure everybody has their own reasons. I'm just curious, you know, what your opinion might be from your experiences as to why victims may not want to involve the local authorities. They're underage and they were drinking. Um, they were at a party, you know, they went to his room. They went to her room. They were in a hotel they maybe did some something else that in the military is considered like a crime. Um, and so they're scared to get the police involved for fear of being in trouble. Um, just fear in itself, fear that something might happen, shock. Um, sometimes you're, you know, something terrible happens and you automatically kind of just go into your routine. Like you, you get in your car and you drive home and you get home and you get a drink of water and you take a shower and you lay in your bed and still haven't even processed like what happened, almost like you're a zombie. So there's a lot of different reasons, but I think those are some of, some of the main ones. Um, and also being 
young maybe you're in a foreign country like how do you call the police you know um you're overseas and different things like that so there's there's a lot of reasons yeah that that makes sense yeah thank you for saying that um because yes somebody else may have wondered the same thing maybe to somebody who's listening who's not in the military like why not just call the police well and i mean you know sometimes the police don't always get it right you know in the Mm -hmm. way that they treat victims and believing victims as well so i think that also has a a big part of it is like you know if i'm at a party or you know i have on club clothes or whatever like what are they going to say to me if i say that i was raped or sexually assaulted so ideally the military and that process of of you know victim advocacy it adds that those extra protection layers for the victim to ensure that they're getting the best treatment and the treatment that they deserve at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so then my next question was like, how, how, is there a vetting process to become an advocate? I feel like that's a very, like, it's a very huge role um, that, that you're taking on. Um, <laughs> yeah. and- I was actually going to say <laughs> yeah. like, um, I know people who were kind of voluntold to do it. Wow. Okay. So I don't think that's right. And I definitely think it needs to be something that the person wants to do. Um, you do have to get like recommended by your command um, and your, your like chain of command and stuff. But it, it's, it wasn't a lot. Like I kind of was like, I want to be a victim advocate and I, you know, put the paperwork in and I was able to do it. Um, but your if your command says or your chain of command says like nah dude you're not doing that then you're not going to be able to do it so that that is a, a vetting process right there and then you're you're going through training for 40 hours in a week okay and there's times that they haven't certified somebody because okay. they were like nah you know um so there are the social workers there who are doing that and they're outside of the command they're outside of the military so i think that they're a pretty good judge of character in the vetting process as well Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's good. The people I know who did it really wanted to help people and really took it very seriously. And honestly, I would hope so. That that disheartens me that somebody would just be voluntold to take on <laughs> such such, yeah. such a huge position, right? That's yeah. a lot to deal with. And you have to be equipped and ready and willing to deal with everything that comes with that. So, right. yeah. All right. So with being a a victim's advocate um, for the Navy, but they are in all services, um, have you experienced anybody that was kind of confused on whether what they experienced, you know, kind of fit into the realm of what you were responsible for doing? Like, I guess I more so am wanting to talk about like the differences between sexual assault versus sexual harassment and if the resources available are equal to both offenses. Yeah, there definitely were people who were confused Um, and we would do trainings about that specifically um, about the different resources that were available for sexual harassment because that wasn't something that we would do. Um, I don't think they're necessarily at the same level. Um, there's not really as many resources and I'm sorry off the top of my head. I really can't remember what they were because we didn't deal with it. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I think it's important for people to understand what the difference is. Um, and also that both should be taken seriously just because somebody wasn't physically touched doesn't mean that there's not like an impact that that happened to them. (laughs) So you would say that, um, and I and I know we get training on this, but just you know from experience, right? And as somebody who who is, who's an advocate, right, for for people and supporting them, like the way I see it, as somebody who I would call it sexual harassment, but I've also but I, I'm also category categorizing the touching, right? Because I've been groped on my butt and touched on my waist, and it's like I say that that's sexual harassment, but like. That's no actual. That's that's no, yeah. Right. That's the confusion point where it's like, okay, well, when does when does it become? We would kind of say whenever there's touching involved, now you're you're assaulting somebody. You're putting your hands on them. So yeah, that's so like if you were say you were in public and somebody came up to you and touched your breasts and like groped your your butt and stuff, like 
they could go to jail for that for for so even so if you think about it that way that's it makes it different than when you're in an office and somebody you see us every day does it because you want to justify it because you know them and you see them every day but if you were in like the grocery store and somebody did the exact same thing to you like what would your reaction be what would you do See, and that's such a powerful analogy because I think we should see it all like that. And I'm saying here myself, it happened to me and I'm, I'm even downplaying it and I shouldn't, right? Like it, that was sexual assault. And the person who did that, he's still in the Navy. Yeah. And, and so it's like, I, God forbid, I really hope he didn't decide to grope somebody else. But like, I think as, as potential victims i hate to say that but just as service members in general we we have to really understand um what is what and if anything that anybody's doing to you feels uncomfortable go high and right yeah get get it out there let people know what was done and make sure that that they're held accountable right um the next thing that i want to just talk with you specifically about is just one, how you feel. <laughs> so, yes, I was interrupted by the dogs, but we're back now. So I want I wanted to hear your thoughts on the importance of advocacy and support, um, specifically when it comes to dealing with um, others who may be experiencing mental health issues or even just dealing with some trauma, whether that's from a sexual harassment or a sexual assault or just something else. Like in in your opinion, since you are, you know, an advocate now um, for veterans, like how do you see the importance of advocacy when it comes to the help that it can provide? It's really important because people need to know what's out there and like everybody's not privy to the same information um, or listening all, all at the same time or whatever. So, you know, reminding people, having people remind people, um, like showing support for something by talking about it, um, and publicizing it makes people feel better and makes people feel like it's something that you care about. If they never hear about it, or if they only hear about, um, where to go for sexual assault or what to do, you know, twice a year during your training, Mm -hmm. um, then they don't feel like that's a real thing that they can go to because they don't ever hear about it anytime else, you know, have posters, have signs, have, you know, phone numbers, have, you know, more trainings than just those big annual ones and really advocate for it by marketing and publicity and, and having leaders talk about it and, and, divisions maybe do another training about it and different things um that side of advocacy could really definitely help and i think kind of on just like the lowest level is you know talking to people and reaching out to your friends and coworkers if you see that they're having a hard time and especially when you're in the military don't let somebody isolate they don't have friends and family around them from back home so like there was there are so many people who, who really had nobody, um, who were just alone. Nobody liked them or nobody really talked to them or they didn't really have any friends and they were all alone. And like, you look at somebody like that and they're going through something and you never know what could happen, but just reaching out and talking to them or like, Hey, I got, I bought you lunch today. Or, you know, or, hey, do you want to hang out after work or something? You know, making yourself available and reaching out, you know, maybe like stopping by or, well, texting before you stop by, um, but <laughs> to somebody's house and things like that, you know, to to really show that, that you're there for them and not just saying it. I mean, there's so many times people make these empty, oh, I'm going to be there for you, anything you need. But then when you actually need somebody, somebody or something, nobody's there. You know, for me... One of the worst parts of postpartum was I was stationed in Virginia. My friends that I had in the Navy had all left and moved to different commands and I had nobody. Um, nobody came to see me and my baby for like a month or so, you know, and I would see other people talking about how like, you know, somebody brought them food or like, you know, they had all these people come visit and I didn't have any of that. I didn't have my family there. My brother was actually deployed. 
um, right like the two days after I had the baby. Um, you know, I was just so isolated. And I don't know that if people would have really known that unless they asked me, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they would have known that I just didn't really have a support system because we all assume that everybody kind of has the same thing that we have, or we assume that they have it better than us. Right. When a lot of times they, they might not, and they don't, you know, so everybody doesn't have a best friend or somebody they can lean on or a mom that they can call and just talk to. So you might have to be that person for somebody, you know, and asking somebody like, do you have, do you have somebody you're talking to? Like, you don't have to talk to me. If you want to talk to me, don't talk to me. But I want to know, do you have somebody that you can talk to about whatever's going on? You know, be a little nosy sometimes. And, you know, sometimes, because I can relate to that, I'm a very introverted person. I actually enjoy being alone. I'm not going to call it isolating because isolating is a different thing. And I have Mm -hmm. done that. And that was not healthy. But I genuinely do appreciate when people that I don't know or people that I just work with that are just acquaintances, they're like, hey, what do you have going on this weekend? Like, are, are you good? Are you sure? Like, if you need some somewhere to hang out and you want to be social, like, come on by. Right. Now right. I'm like, I'm like, uh, no, I'm good, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I genuinely, I, I appreciate it, right? Because mm-hmm. even though I may not go, just the the, the fact that you thought about me and you care to check on me or invite me to this right, means exactly. I care and that does something. At, right. And sometimes, yeah. you know what? Sometimes that is so true because sometimes you are like really excited that you got invited. Um, <laughs> I kind of like to be at my house too. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's okay to, to turn it down too. And, and another yeah. thing is I forget who I was talking to, but you know, I was talking about some of the reasons that people join the military and one of the biggest ones is like a sense of belonging, right? They may mm-hmm. grow up from nothing or they may be trying to get away from something and right. you know, they leave their their past in the past and now you're, you know, floating on one of those big gray things in the middle of the ocean somewhere right. <laughs> or in a tent in the desert and now you don't know anybody or you don't have anything. So it's like, why not just be kind and support each other, whether you are going to be the best of friends or not, like y'all are all in this situation together. Right. So let's be kind, let's support each other. Let's check on each other, lend a helping hand and just let people know that they're not alone. They don't have to isolate. We're all in this together. And something right. as simple as, Hey man, are you doing okay? All right. You want to come have lunch with us? No. Cool it would make the world of a difference. Right. So yeah. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you said that. Advocacy is so important and it takes so many different forms. Right. Um, well, the next thing that I want to get into is the um, seat of triumph. <laughs> so that's kind of the basic of the podcast, right? Um, I wanted to build a platform where people could come on and share their own personal stories of, resiliency of triumph. So essentially a seat of triumph is just a reframing of a traumatic adversity and into the beginning of progress, right? So sharing your seed presents an opportunity for us all to work through, endure, learn, grow, and ultimately just triumph through life, through through whatever life throws at us. So I wanted to ask you if you had your own personal seat of triumph that you wanted to share. Um, sure. Yeah. For me, it was, um, like I talked about before when I had postpartum depression, it was a rough time. Um, I was getting divorced. I was a new mom. My baby was young under one. Um, I was getting out the Navy. I was moving. I was starting school. I was starting over completely and it was probably one of the hardest times of my life. It was so lonely. Um, Being a single parent is extremely lonely. So if, you know, anybody that's listening to this, like if you know of a single parent, definitely reach out to them, Um, especially if they're dealing with any of the stuff that we talked about, because you can't go anywhere, you know, especially if you don't have the extra money and stuff, you're kind of stuck at home. So it was just a hard time. But, you know, I was going to school full time and I was being a single mom. And my daughter was thriving in in daycare and stuff. She was doing great. And I was doing great in school and and outside of that was starting to become a community activist and stuff and and building up 
my resources and kind of the tools that I had and um, the connections that I was making and things like that. And I was able to graduate from college and I look back on that and I'm like, I don't know how I did any of that. (laughs) Um, It was rough, but I did it, you know, and I I pushed through and I overcame and there was so many times I didn't think I was going to be able to do it at all. Um, A lot of tears, you know, a lot of all nighters, you know, but I look back on that experience and I'm so proud of myself for being able to come out on the other side and being able to, to do it. And I know that, uh, D guts, he was such an inspiration to me and such a motivator to me. Um, he really made me believe I could do anything once I got out the Navy. Mm-hmm. He really believed that I was smart enough to like do it, you know? Um, and having somebody just believe that I could like really make an impact on society when I never thought that was anything I really could do or want to do or like get to the point where I'm reaching like thousands of people and get to the point where I'm sharing this message across different platforms and on different podcasts and stuff like that's insane, you know? Um, but I'm here, but if you would ask me during it, <laughs> I probably would have said some real negative stuff guys. Right? It would have been, been a wreck. Um, but yeah. And you can do more than you think you can. We're we're more resilient than than we have to be, than we should be. So when you were when you were faced with all those those um points of stress really all at one time and I, and I know you said, you know, it was hard and it was so much going on and you had to shed some tears, but ultimately you, you came out on top, right? You, your daughter was thriving. You were getting through college. You had these, these dreams, um, ahead of you. So like, was there any central thought or just anything that you always kind of went back to, um, to help you get through those tough times? Um, I would think back to when I joined the Navy and I (laughs) didn't think I could do any of the stuff that I got to do when I was in. And I knew I could do it. It was just the doing it part that was was hard, but I knew I could. I did. I knew that I could. And I knew it was something that I wanted so bad to do. Um, And I I knew I was going to be willing to do whatever I had to to get there. Even if that was lying to myself sometimes that like, you know. I said it wasn't always a confident like uh, it would be like God, I know I got to do this and I know I can get there but I feel so stupid right now being in but class. you know what know even what you about. even you saying even you saying and acknowledging I know I can do this I know I can get there is a positive affirmation that you say to yourself to help you get through and I think but there's just- definitely times where I said I can't do it I, I mean I would cry and be like I can't do this I can't do anything else I can't do it anymore I'm but it was temporary, out. right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a um I did use a VA and I do go to therapy and I did have a great therapist and stuff like that. So um that was really, really amazing. I did my um my VA benefits and my disability claim before I got out the Navy. So I was able to start going to the VA right away. Um I had a great therapist who also had a new baby. And oh, she was nice. nursing. So like I, the first time I went in her office, I saw her breast pump. I had my baby with me at therapy when I first started. She was a, t- a baby. So like she didn't know what was happening. But that's, <laughs> you know, that's the reality of like being a single parent in the situation I was in. Like I had to take my kid to therapy with me. So, you know, it, it, it was, it was difficult, but th- I had help. You know, I had a support system when I moved, I moved home specifically because I knew I had a support system here. I knew my family was here. My friends were here and stuff. So good. Well, I'm glad you got through it. I mean, nothing in life comes easy, especially nothing worth, worth having, honestly. So the fact that you, yeah, we're, we're able to pull yourself through it and you're on to way bigger and better things. And I'm so glad that you had the support of your family and people like D guts who believed in you. That is so important. Um, and just for our listeners, right? Like you can do it too. Like we all fall through hard times. We all don't think that we're going to get through them, but just, I challenge you, if you're going through something, go look at yourself in the mirror and say, I got this. I can do this. I will get through this. Cause you will. Yeah. You will. Like it can't get worse than it is. Right. Like that's what, right. you know, and 
that would sometimes tell myself like this is it amber this is what it feels like you know it has to get better like you know rubbing two cents together to make dinner and i was like i'm gonna graduate and i know it's gonna be better than this and see now look at you you have a, a laundry list of qualifications and credentials and you're gonna go and change the world if not pennsylvania first but yeah. <laughs> be on the lookout for miss amber viola Thank so you. I always end off the episode with just providing one last opportunity for you to give any last advice for anybody who may be struggling out there. Um, keep trying and ask for help. If you, even if you don't think you need help, we all need a little bit, you know, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out to a friend or family member or a counseling center or something like that if you don't have anybody around you and, you know, and, and keep going. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah. Don't give up guys. Uh, ask for help. We're all in this together. That's why we're doing this podcast is to help. So thank you for coming and talking to me and, you know, being vulnerable for our audience. I think a lot of what you said is going to be very helpful. It was very helpful for me. And again, I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you for having me on your podcast. Thank you. Of course. All right. You enjoy your day and keep your head in the books because you're almost done. Oh, God. <laughs> almost. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, Amber. Thank you. One last thank you for listening to Seeds of Triumph podcast. And thank you to our guest, Miss Amber Viola, for sharing her experiences and advice and for all the work she's doing to help our military and veteran force. I look forward to seeing her name in the headlines. And as always, if you are struggling with your mental health and need additional resources, please view the link listed in our bio. The Seeds of Triumph podcast can be contacted via email at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.